This episode of Lord Have Mercy is brought to you by Noelle Hair Serum, managing the many textures of you one natural drop at a time. Noelle is superfood for your hair, and now you can get your first bottle of Noelle with 10% off and free shipping. Just use the coupon code HAIRSUPERFOOD when you visit noellehair.com. That's N-U-E-L-E hair.com. Don't forget, Hair Superfood. listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, and today I'm sharing the mic with Amanda Lynn Holmes, a marketing assistant by day and an LGBTQ advocate all of the times of the day and night and week and yeah. (laughs) I got to speak to Amanda on the inauguration day, and she had some kick-ass pointers for how to fight back against the Trumpish regime. Okay, and so you take these um, organizing leadership skills a step further than just the church, and you apply them to um, local and state government, right? Right. So I, um, when I started at HRC back in 2007, I was working in the public education and outreach department, but they needed volunteers to go out to targeted campaigns, one of which was in my hometown. Mm -hmm. They wanted to send me out to Arlington, and I was like, guys, I just moved here. I don't know this area at all, but I noticed that one of your targeted races is in my hometown. Why don't you send me there? And so I got to go work on that campaign and just kind of, like, caught the politics bug. That was my first campaign, and then uh, the next semester I worked in the field department and then from there went on to work on a couple of marriage equality campaigns. Wow. So you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I like I retired from campaigning in mm-hmm. 2010. Yeah. Then uh, last year in 2016, I decided to give it a go again, and then realized mm, I don't yeah. like campaigning anymore. Yeah. Um, so I definitely like the more policy-based side of okay. it. Okay. So I just want our listeners to know that I met Amanda Lynn Holmes um, when we were both at the Gay Christian Network Conference, which was in Pittsburgh uh, this year, um, the first week in January. And she did a whole workshop on lobbying and talking to your, your political leaders about policies that matter to you. And I just thought that this was so poignant and perfect because... As you may have heard, we are recording on Inauguration Day on the TV in front of me. You know, Trump is marching down. uh, Mrs. Obama is marching down. Hillary Clinton is marching down. All to put this 
dunderhead of, of sweet potato or sour potato into office, right? And <laughs> we who are queer, I mean, there are, there are protests going on right now. I know that um, two days ago or on Wednesday night, there was a queer dance party outside of Mike Pence's house. Yes, and so, right, so we as a community, we are totally jazzed to do something, you know, um, Obama said in his final address to the press, he was like, we're going to be okay. It just means that we're going to have to get up off of our chairs and go out and do something. He's also the one who said, we need to get from behind our computers and stop commenting and trolling and go talk to people that we don't, that we usually wouldn't talk to. Right. And I, I totally, I totally agree with that. But as, you know, somebody who has just played the role of a citizen for the past 31, almost 32 years, I don't know where to go to actually engage in, in local and state and a government. Like, I don't know, what do I do? And so that's, that's why you're here. And that's, those are the first things that I heard when you were up there talking. I was like, oh my gosh, this person needs to come and tell the rest of the world, the rest of the queer Christian world, what it is we need to be doing. Um, so <laughs> that has set me up for a big one there. Um, <laughs> but you were so, just talking about like, like I've been very lucky to kind of be self-motivated when I have something I want to do. I go and seek out people that are doing that thing yeah, or find people that will do this thing with me. Okay. Uh, so I'm also really lucky to live right outside of D.C. Mm-hmm. So for me, I could totally just roll up to the hill into uh, Senator Kane's office and be like, hey, what's up, Senator Kane? Um, and you have the balls to do it. <laughs> you would. <laughs> oh, he's such a lovely human being. Um, <laughs> but like, getting involved in local politics is one of the easiest ways to start. So your city or county has board meetings or council meetings at least monthly, if not weekly. Mm-hmm. So find out what they're doing. See what's going on in your city or your county. Um, because those are the things that are going to, and then in your state, because those are the things that are going to impact your day-to-day life most quickly. Yeah. So when you, when you tell me to go find out, the first thing I think of is, okay, well, I have to open Google which is my permanent butler. Um, but then I'm like, okay, well, what, what do I Google? Do I Google? Google? I'm in Philadelphia, so what would I Google about Philly? Just like... Uh, Find out who, like, do you know who, do you know how the government is set up in Philly? This is embarrassing, no. Like, do you have a mayor? Do you have a city council? Yeah, we have that a mayor. Be- we, have a, we have a council. We have all of that stuff, yes. Okay, that would be somewhere to start. Okay, those are the words that I Google. Yeah. You can Google, like, just, like, you should be able to Google, like, Philadelphia City Council. Okay. And they should, or, like, your Philadelphia government website should pop all of that information. Okay. Uh, But then, like, Philadelphia is a big city. Yeah, it is. It's going to have probably a very active local Democratic Party, if that's your party affiliation. Yes. So, whatever your party affiliation is, find your local party mm-hmm. connected with them. They're going to need volunteers. Yeah. They're going to have um, meetings. They In Arlington, our Democratic Party has caucuses. So we have like the Women's Caucus and 
the African-American caucus. We have an LGBTQ caucus. Um, and then from that, there are statewide Democratic parties, too. So within the statewide, you're going to have those same caucuses. Okay. So you can get involved in a very specific way, or you can get involved in the wider party in a larger way. Okay. So there's, I... There's lots of opportunities. You just kind of have to dive in. Okay. It's scary, I know. Like, it is scary, but I'm sure but that it's, it's kind like of... One thing. Yeah, I'm sure that it's kind of like a tide. Like, once I put a toe in, it'll just sweep me away, and I won't have to do much, like, guessing. Right. Like, get on an email list. You will never get off. Um, but they will provide, like, what events are going on. Um, for example, the Arlington Democratic Party has a brunch on the first Saturday of every month at one of our local restaurants. Gay brunch or just brunch? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, are the there mimosas? That, but yeah, it's brunch for the entire Arlington County party. Um, but that's a great place to network, and you get to know your local officials. Okay. Um, so you get to can get on a first name basis with your local officials, so they know who you are. So then, when you have an idea or an issue that's important to you, you can go to them and say. Senator Eben, I need you to support this thing. Or, I saw that you're supporting this bill that I support. How can I support you on this? Mm -hmm. So find out, um, our legislative session is just getting started in Virginia. So we, um, bills are just coming out of committee. Mm -hmm. And we can find out what bills they've signed on to and figure out how you can support them as well. So, like, I'm very lucky. The Arlington... Uh, delegation, super liberal, not going to have any problems, but they're also dealing with people like Bob Marshall, who just put through um, a bathroom bill in Virginia for the second year in a row. Oh my goodness. Luckily, it didn't get passed out of subcommittee, oh. so we're good, but just the fact that he submitted it again. He was also the guy who uh, co-sponsored the marriage, um, the anti-gay marriage amendment in 2006. So he's really a thorn in my side. He's a bad guy. It's bad actors. Uh, he has bad ideas. Okay. I don't want to say that he's a bad human. A bad actor. That's what I he said. He too is a child of God. Of the Lord. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Go ahead. so um, I recently downloaded this app like right after uh, November 8th. And it's called Hear My Voice. And it was my first step into figuring out how I was going to stand up for the things I believe in. And basically what it does is, you know, it lets me know what is going on in the world. And and it, it gives me a platform to actually do something about it. So um, I open the app and the first thing it's, it has are a bunch of issues that are, that are going on right now. Like, should tampons be taxed? Um, should guns be allowed on college campuses? Should abortions be covered by government health programs? And I click any one of those and it says at the top I can do for or against and then I can, it has a, this is how you take action. And so in a small way, it's, it's, it's helping, but I can see that it doesn't actually say, you know, this is the person that you call. 
You know, right. this is a number that you call to um, to get on their back to make sure that this happens, or this is a place where you can show up and and have a voice in this in this um, issue. Yeah, the biggest thing to do is get connected with your local organizations. Yeah, and if you don't know what those are, Google your topic that you're interested in mm-hmm. and local, or Google topic and state. Um, okay. So. Most states, I know, have a state-based LGBTQ organization. In Virginia, it's Equality Virginia. Um, And they host a lobby day at the General Assembly every year. Um, It's coming up the first Tuesday in February. Um, So we'll be down at the General Assembly for Day of Action. Check out Equality Virginia if you want to come. But getting involved with the local organizations requires less work on your part. So you're not starting from scratch, but you're working with an already established organization so that you can just plug in. Okay. There may reach a point at which you need to take a leadership role Mm -hmm. or you need to create an organization on your own. But if you've had the experience of working with an established organization, that's going to set you up in the long run. Mm -hmm. Um, Able to take bigger actions later in life. Is there, um, this is kind of off topic. And then I want to ask you about like lobby day tips, but, um, is there anything in your, in your faith that makes you feel obligated to, to go out and be the change that you want to see in the world? I mean, is, are there, yeah. Yeah. I like, if you boil everything Christianity stands for down to like a takeaway you're supposed to love God and love others Mm -hmm. and clearly we haven't mastered those two things so we really like can't look at everything out um but I'm driven to make positive change because of the commandment to love others yeah um because if I'm loving others as God loves me then like, I'm called to take action. I can't just sit by because if I sit by and watch something get destroyed or watch bad legislation come into play, I can't just sit and go, oh, well, it was too hard. No, <laughs> I have to take action. Yeah. Like, honestly, that's one of the things, that's why I will not be at the Women's March tomorrow. Okay is because, to me, it is a reactive march. Mm -hmm. I want to know how many of the people marching tomorrow volunteered any of their time for a campaign this past year. It is a reactive march, but then I also think, um, hopefully people won't go to the march and say, okay, well, I've done what I can for, you know, for this administration, a.k.a. regime, and for the next four years, I'm just going to sit back. Hopefully, we see a lot of those people inspired by getting off of their couches and chartering, chartering a bus and getting and going that they end up um, more involved in their local government or they actually show up to vote for things because, you know. <laughs> I, w- I would love if this was the creation of a revolution. Yeah. But it's hard to have as much hope as Obama wants us to. 
Yeah, no, and his, I mean, and the other side of the, of his final address to the press was he was like, I think we're going to be okay, and that's usually, like, the last thing somebody says before, you know, like, all hell, hell breaks loose, like, something parents say when they have no idea what's going to happen, and they're probably, you know, going to go broke, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's going to be okay, grandma is not going to die, and then grandma dies, and granddad dies, and I get polio, like, that's the kind of shit that I feel that he is is trying to hold back with that we're going to be okay statement. Yeah. But anyway, I I'm very conflicted. I'm very I mean who isn't? <laughs> who isn't? Well, like, I just I've seen this happen before. So I worked on the No on Prop 8 campaign. Okay. In San Francisco in 2008 which was adding um the anti-marriage equality amendment to the California constitution Mm -hmm. and everybody was really comfortable and that's when problems happen Mm. when you get comfortable problems happen so people were comfortable and were like oh California's liberal this will never pass so I'm not going to do anything about the campaign and they just don't show up and so people didn't show up word didn't get out and boom it was added to yeah constitution which was really interesting for me because that was also the night that obama won so most of my friends are out celebrating and i'm standing in a ballroom sobbing because i knew that we had lost i don't know and then like the next over the next weeks people came out and marched and i was just so angry because i was like where were you all when i was calling for volunteers when i needed your help yeah and i mean that's i think that is the 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 one feeling that i can't shake off with this whole trump presidency it's that you know yeah a lot of people thought hillary was going to win so they just sat back and did nothing and in fact, they were they were jumping the gun and criticizing her before she even had a chance to be president. Um, right. And then we had a lot of people who just voted for Trump just because, you know, they didn't like Hillary. But I can't sit next to those people who just voted for Trump, you know, because I know, I know that they were not thinking about me. They weren't thinking about me. They were thinking it doesn't matter. You know, they weren't thinking about the black lesbian uh you know christian out there they weren't thinking about the trans person they weren't thinking about the bisexual person they were just thinking about themselves and it's really fucking frustrating you know like i i don't know i don't know how i'm supposed to go out there and and shake hands with the other side knowing that you know these people are just so casual about everyone else's rights but their own because they have them i think that's why we have to keep telling our stories and be unafraid to do so. And that's what you were saying at the... Yeah, like, I was... I don't remember who asked the question, but somebody was like, well, what if I'm not really making an impact? And, you know, you never know what kind of impact your story is going to make. Like, you might be the seed that gets planted, and then somebody else's story helps it grow. And then the third person's story is where you see it blossom in their brain that oh, this is something important. And you're talking about, like, the slow and steady ebbing away of, right. you know... Like, sometimes we need more drastic action, but, like, telling stories and establishing relationships 
that's the story of humanity right there. Yeah. That's how everything has gotten done that has been worth doing. Yeah. I guess, you know, that's, I totally believe in, in story. I believe in the personal story. I believe what Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie says about the personal, about the single story. Like you just can't have one person speaking for everyone. Like there needs to be a million voices, not one voice representing a million people. And I believe in like revisionist history. Like if we don't tell our story, somebody else with a bigger voice is going to come along and rewrite the whole damn thing as if we didn't even exist. So we have to tell our story. And I love the idea that it's an, that it's incremental change on people's con- uh, consciences that we need to show up, say it one time, and be able to walk away without the immediate gratification of seeing their mind change. But know that, you know, someone else is going to come after us and say it again, and then again, and then again. Right. I mean, that's worked in my own life through trans people telling me their stories. Yeah. When I was this little innocent kid in college Mm -hmm. who had no idea of the world, um, I had a very lovely friend that I worked with at one of my volunteer groups who allowed me to ask the stupid questions. Um, And because he allowed me to ask the stupid questions, that got my brain thinking to the point that, like, now one of my very good friends is transitioning and I'm like, oh, here's, like, I can I can be helpful now. I, I don't, I mean, I still have questions, but I've learned so much and heard so many stories now that I have a completely different view of the world and on things than I did 10 years ago because I had people over and over and over and over again telling me their stories. Yeah. And so this is what we should be doing to our legislators on lobby days. Yeah, tell your stories and like go and make the connection with your legislators. Like they you voted them into office. They are there for you. Yeah. Um they're the mouthpiece. They're the ones telling our stories. Right. They're the ones who get to vote on things. So you should, they should probably know the stories of their community. Okay, so what is a lobby day for us, you know, idiots? Okay, um, <laughs> so I'm going to talk through the one that I do with Equality Virginia. So a lobby day, what Equality Virginia calls it is a day of action. Mm-hmm. So the way the Equality Virginia lobby day is set up is that everybody gets to Richmond around 8.30. Then from 9 to 12... We go and have, um, this is one of the most important things, set up an appointment in advance. Okay. So Equality Virginia has set up appointments for us based on who's registered. Okay. So then you go and visit with your legislators. And, like, I, I, don't, always, I don't go just to the ones whose districts I live in because I've established relationships with senators and delegates from other districts, mm-hmm. I can go to them and say, hey, I'm with this group. I know you support us, so here's what we're trying to accomplish. Okay. Um, so, and I go and you talk with them, and you come in and you've done your homework. You find out what legislation your group is either working 
to support or actively oppose. You find out where your senator and delegates stand on that issue. And then you use your meeting with them to tell a story. Um, to say, hey, this is how this bill is going to affect me, a person. Or this is how this bill is going to affect my brother or my sister, who is it's even more powerful if they're also uh, constituents of that district. Okay. But even if they're not, you can say, I'm a constituent, and this is going to affect my trans brother because... Yeah. And tell your story there. Give the challenge, the choice, and the outcome. And the outcome can be... Um, we had talked before about the idea of the strong ask. Yeah. So when you're telling your story, you finish with a strong ask, which could be, Senator Eben, will you support this bill when it comes to the floor? Mm-hmm. Will you speak to this bill when it comes to the floor? Yeah. Um, and then, like, within that, it whatever response they give, if it's, positive towards you ask them how you can support them mm. like don't just leave them hanging okay um and no. you can like obviously you're there asking for their support but they need your support too okay so it's a, it becomes a partnership yeah rather than just one-sided so what if the legislator that you're speaking with um, is against what it is you're doing, and they try to walk away. Well, at least in Virginia, most legislators are dignified to not just, like, get up and walk out of the meeting. I mean, what if they pull, like, a Paul Ryan, and they're just like, I'm going to try and disappear so that you guys can't actually meet with me? Well, then like you'll... Like you did the Planned Parenthood the other day. <laughs> then you should... You will probably still have access to their staffers, which may be more, um, not sensitive isn't the right word, but, like, they, they feel more for you. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones, like, you can tell them your story, and then they can tell your story to the congressman or to the okay. senator. Because as long as the story is getting told, it's going to make a difference. Okay. It may not make a big difference, but it could still be that little difference. And you never know at what point that little difference is going to roll the stone down the hill yeah. and make it a big difference with a lot of impact. That's really cool. So the notes I took from uh, listening to you speak at GCN, you said um, it's important to know what the bill is, to know how you can actually connect with um, the senator, legislator, um, and then you said you have to have a specific ask. But the thing that I really loved the most was you said pray for um, the legislator. Pray for whoever it is. Pray for the, the bill. Pray for the policy. Pray for the lobby day. Pray for all of it. And that really touched me because oftentimes um, people forget that there is power in prayer. And they forget that, you know, even though you do all that you can physically, there still is, um, there still are other powers out there that can affect change, you know? I mean, and I don't know, I think that prayer is an extension of hope. So I really like that you said that. And if you're, so the United Methodist Church mm-hmm. in Virginia, the Virginia Annual Conference actually does a lobby day as well. So your wow. church might do a lobby day mm. uh, 
for your state too depending on like with the methodist church we have conferences in each state or region so your conference might host its own lobby day as well um and if you're going down specifically with a church focus you can always ask to pray with your legislator there wow they might say no okay but you could open the meeting with prayer you are so um, ballsy (laughs) well that's probably one of the things i miss about being southern baptist it was very normal to go up and be like will you pray with me not pray for me will you pray with me right now and i would feel very awkward asking that of most of my friends now yeah yeah it's as a queer person i feel that too like it's just that that kind of um that language or that kind of relating to people just doesn't exist well it puts you in a space of vulnerability too it puts both when you pray with someone it puts both of you in a space of vulnerability yeah but i I feel like great things can be done there i think so preach through your prayer yeah but it's also asking other people to like step into um the faith that you have and i i know that so many lgbtq people have hang-ups around it um maybe i think you're just way more you're way more brave than i am (laughs) well i mean it's not something everybody can do but they're just ideas yeah because i figure you know if you throw the idea out enough it might catch on um but yeah even if they don't know you're praying for them just to be in continued prayer for your legislators like that's one of the things i really like about the episcopal church is no matter who's in power they still pray for them that's strong that's beautiful so like even though um oh it's still it's 11:43 so he's not in, he's still president elect trump for yes. the next 15 minutes gosh uh, it's 11:44 listeners um <laughs> Uh, so president elect trump when he becomes president the episcopal church will still pray for him every single sunday that's that's beautiful i'm gonna need it anyway it helps me remember that like the people that i don't agree with are still beloved children of god as well yeah like god loves Bob Marshall, just as much as God loves me. Preach. Preach. <laughs> oh, man. All of this is just, it's so hard to talk about. You know, it makes me want to cry, but I have to have faith. I have to have faith in myself, in, in other people, in the power of prayer. Absolutely. It is calling for us to be stronger than we think we are. Do you have any... um final words you want to give to our listeners about um i don't know about what to do under the trump presidency tell your story i mean i know i've said that like 85 times in the past 40 minutes but um like and with telling your story there are so many um resources out there that can help you tell your story and Let's hold on. Let me see if I no. Of course, I didn't list them, um, <laughs> but I can send them over to you. Yeah. Um, there and the great thing about telling your stories is not just within a legislative 
arena, but in your own church. So if your church is struggling with being open and accepting and welcoming and affirming, you can start telling your story and get your friends to tell their stories. Um, and that could be a whole other podcast. No, uh, we totally can do another one of those. I just know that your enthusiasm about this is contagious. So I dare people to listen to this and not think, huh, you know, there's, there's something that I can do. You know, there's, there's a push, there's a way to push back without actually, you know, causing a ton of conflict or, or, um, issues in the church. And I just want people to realize the power that they do have, um, and to realize their privilege, like people who have privilege need to be aware of it so that they can use it for good. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> spend your privilege. Spend it well. Spend it, spend it on other people. For sure. Like if you recognize that you're in a position of power, use your position of power for good. Yeah. And that's how we'll get through these next four years. Or less. I mean, after after him, there's always Pence, but at least Pence isn't, like, trigger-happy with the nuclear codes. <laughs> or destroying the 0.01% of the uh, budget that is designated to the arts. Shit. Please stop talking. <laughs> I just can't hear any more of it. I just can't. <sighs> How do we end on a happy note? <laughs> Um, I'm getting more and more like stressed and anxious right now. <laughs> Only uh, you know what? I'm just. If you gonna... have to listen to Hamilton. Go listen to Hamilton. Hamilton is everything better. Okay, I will. I will. <laughs> That's what's up. It's inauguration day. I'm gonna go listen to Hamilton. If you want to hear more about Amanda, you can find her links on the website. And while you're there, take a look at the submission page for our Bible app. We still need writers, and I have a sneaking suspicion you've been itching to submit something. So please do, and do it soon. Uh, that's crystalcheatum.com submissions. And now, it's that time of the show again, where you listeners get to call in with your questions about God, sex, and the Bible. If you have a question for Rev Sex, write to hi at crystalcheatum.com. And now, Rev Sex. So you just listened to my conversation with Amanda Lynn Holmes. Um, I don't know. Where do we go? I mean, I think that there's a question there for me around, like, it's super important to be involved politically if that's the thing that you're called to do. And, um, but I think there's another part of it that is, like, the politics, like, it isn't just about the politics. And if we spend our time only concerned about um, the vote and how many people are registered to vote and um, who's running, then I think that we're missing, as people of faith, we're missing a really big part of what it means to do work of um, pushing back against Christian supremacy and spiritual violence in this country. And so I'm not saying that that stuff isn't important. It's not my particular call. And so I'm less passionate about it, but I think it's really important, particularly in this moment that feels really hopeless for many of us, or some of us are feeling super jaded um, about the process when we have 2 million more people voting for one person than the person who's actually the person who's elected to president. And 
yeah. suspicions of foreign governments uh, infiltrating our elective process and voter suppression happening all over. It's really hard because the systems of money and domination that are controlling things make many of us feel pretty hopeless or discouraged about that process. So our um, confidence in our political system comes and goes depending on what happens. And it feels like, particularly in my opinion, this is a moment of triumph for great evil. And as that happens, I think we have to be asking, what are we missing? And for me, a significant part of that is understanding the messages of Christian supremacy that help us understand, one, how we got here, and two, what are the mandates that we need to address that are outside of the political voting sphere? Okay, um, so right off the bat, what, what is Christian supremacy? Yeah, great question. Um, Especially in relation to the legislative bodies. Like, you make it sound like, like there's the government and there's people and then there's Christian supremacists. Like, <laughs> like what do you mean? Well, I mean, I think it's this, I sometimes say white Christian supremacy because um, Christian supremacy is specifically different from Christianity as a personal faith and journey because Christian supremacy is what happened when systems of domination like imperialism, colonization, white supremacy form a parasitic relationship with religion. I'm taking this all directly from the stuff we've worked out at Soulforce, and mm-hmm. there's a really cool three-minute video online that folks can, that called What is Christian Supremacy? Okay. That folks can get this from. But the idea is basically like power and religion exist, and they exist in the world all the time, and when those two start forming a kind of parasitic relationship in which they feed off of each other to increase either their power or their morality... That is a different thing. And it is not about people's individual faith and conviction. It's about manipulating the language, the sacred text, the traditions, the words of Christ, whatever, in order to back up things that are wrong and inherently sinful. That right? hits home for me. Yeah. So like the, the alt-right would be Christian supremacists. I think everything in this country that is where you have politics being manipulated as right or like the moral thing even though they lead to people's harm and death that is all the implications right so christian supremacy is something as simple as understanding that in this country that's supposed to have a separation of church and state there's a reason why we get christmas day off or paid time and a half and we'd not get eid or um ramadan off or paid at time and a half right that is about Christian supremacy. That's about, there's a system, there's a religious, there's a religious tilt to a system that favors in all spheres of our society a Christian perspective rather than a non-Christian one. The same reason why in our country it's legal to marry one person but not legal to have more than one wife, right? Mm -hmm. That's a very particular kind of moral framing based in religious convictions that are not shared across the board they're not it's not a secular value yeah and so in this particular country where we really believe that we live in a society or many of us believe that we live in a society where church and state are supposed to be separate there are these telltale signs that show us in fact even our laws for example sodomy laws right Mm -hmm. sodomy laws which are really like homophobic and transphobic laws that made criminal 
any kind of homosexual-esque behavior. The reason they're called sodomy laws is because it's based on the morality of a misinterpreted Bible story of Sodom and, and Gomorrah. Gomorrah. <laughs> that didn't just come out of nowhere. It wasn't Sodomizers, somebody like, sodomite. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it wasn't like that somebody, like there's a general consensus that, that there is, you know, that homosexuality is bad and wrong. It's absolutely situated in a particular framework. Mm-hmm. And that particular framework is a specific version of Christianity. Okay. And so when Columbus comes across the ocean and lands Ooh, on back to Columbus. this <laughs> land and says, I have a messenger sent by God for the new creation and new world. Columbus really thought he was beginning the thousand year reign. Like he was really serious about we have to evangelize all these people on this continent because Jesus can't come back until that happens. That's a specific form of, of power that uses Christianity to be like, oh, I'm raping, enslaving, and murdering all these people because they're enemies of God because they won't convert. Right. Okay. That's a particular framing. Okay. So we've gone, we, okay. So. Christian supremacy has been with us for a very long time. Yes. And it is entrenched. Since the 4th century. We could go back another 1,500 years if you want. Uh, I can't. My heart can't take it. It is, <laughs> it is entrenched. A different podcast. Okay, a different podcast. Yes. Columbus well, Day. I, oh, my 2017. goodness. 2017. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Please, listeners, remind us, because hopefully we'll forget. <laughs> no, I will never forget. won't forget. Um, okay, so that's what Christian supremacy is. That is how it's wrapped up in our democracy, um, in our, like, you know, in the, you know, God, uh, in the, like our money, like it says in God, we trust on our money and the holidays that we have and blah, 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 blah. So what are you saying that we can actually do about this? The first thing is understanding how those things are connected because as people of faith and as a individually, as someone who identifies as Christian, I see how often for those of us who have deep and personal faiths, when people say things against Christians, it feels like an attack on me specifically or on our community. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand that in many ways, God has been stolen and oh, taken yeah. by like a conservative right-wing strategy that colludes neoliberalism, capitalism, as in like yeah. not people first, not how do we support the least of these, we aren't throwing billions and billions of dollars of how we get people, the homeless homes or how we get hungry people fed or how we take care of the undocumented minors that are in this country or how we take care of the elderly. Yeah. That isn't where we're spending all of our money. Nobody's like thrusting gazillions of dollars at saving Medicare, right? People are spending, our elected officials and our government are spending money on things like the military and on things like specifically things that absolutely impact and hurt people and particularly brown people and particularly queer people and women and all around the world. And that specific thing is tells me when that group of people can claim Christian and that group of people can say that they believe in God and they can end their speeches with God bless America and all that shit. When that is how it's going, that tells me God has been stolen and God needs to be taken back. Right. I agree. That's so that's what why this podcast exists. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So like, So all that to say, when we hear messages about, well, those people just need to go get a job, or those people are so stupid, they are voting against their own interests, we need to understand that there is a particular 
embedded, kind of taught in public schools, taught in private schools, taught in churches, taught in homes, in our culture that re that already orients us to a wrong way of living um, that centers individualism, that centers consumption, that considers harming the that centers harming the earth, harming animals. Like so, it trickles down into messaging, is what it is. Absolutely, and then action. Exactly. So when we're thinking about combating it, we first have to, well, first, Christians have to stop being so damn tender about having their faith attacked. The number of people who write to me and what? say, Christians are the most persecuted group in the entire world. I've literally gotten these emails, right? They're like, Christians are the most persecuted group in the world. And I am like, that's what they said with the religious freedom thing. They were like, quit, quit being so mad at us about hating gays. We're, why are you persecuting us about this? Right. I'm like, do you understand that there are more... More than 4 billion Christians on the planet, more than any other religion on the entire world. So when you get to the point where you are having so many more, way more than 50% of humanity self-identifying as Christian, and particularly in this country where we have something at like 74-something percent, three-quarters of the population identifies Christian. By nature... The buying power, the voting power, the political power, the cultural power of three quarters of a population is not a persecuted population. So one, we need to no. like shut the fuck up about that. Like that's just not true. It's just okay. not true. And we know, and for as someone who comes from a Baptist background, those like that complex around being persecuted runs real deep and real hard. So it takes a moment to be to like think through that. So one, we need to stop complaining about being persecuted and we need to be real with our own scruples about our own morality, right? And where is it in our own lives where we are saying, I am Christian and yet we are behaving in a way that adds to violence or death on this planet, where we're spending our money and what those institutions are doing. I mean, the number of Americans and theoretically three quarters of which being identifying as Christian that support companies that have slave labor or sweatshop labor overseas that is immoral that is wrong right and so there's so much that we can do on an individual basis and i think part of why we're so touchy is because we aren't living out our actual values and there's lots of reasons why we might not be but part of the reason we're so sensitive is because lest anybody point to the things that we're not doing right it's much easier to project that so one of the things for me that feels like is it's time for a spiritual and moral revolution, not just a political overthrow. Mm -hmm. And so when we're thinking about combating Christian supremacy, one thing is just to be cognizant of the ways that we are incredibly privileged as Christians to have so much of our experience in the world. Well, let okay. So you know the trajectory now. Yes. Of where that conversation goes for me. Yeah. Of like, I actually don't give a shit about politics. I'm pretty, I'm pretty frustrated. Okay. I'm pretty like done with that whole, let's get out the vote. I'm so grateful that people are doing that. I wish them the best. I will pray for them. I will show up when it's time to vote. I will help promote registering. I will push back against voter suppression, but my heart and spirit cannot take four years, much less any longer of the 
Call your senator. Write to your local. If I just can't, like I am. Then what are you saying that we out. we should be doing? Like like what is the action? So you talked about the history. You talked about the messaging. You talked about how it appears in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. But like what do what do we do in this time of Trump? Which is what Amanda was talking about. Like in this time of Trump, when you when it when change has to happen and when change is going to happen, mm-hmm. how do we make sure that it's the change that we want? Yeah, I really love Amanda's suggestion around going local. I think that that is absolutely true, that local that local politics and local culture have the ability to change faster than anything national and affect our lives really directly and, and immediately. Um, I've been part of a group that's starting to think about uh, how in my local area we bring the sanctuary movement, which I think is beautiful, like a beautiful political politicized and spiritual response to this time of intense hate and hurt and it's I, like the idea of the word sanctuary being like a sanctuary in a church feels like oh my god what if it really meant that again what if we really had the possibility for churches to open their doors and say when ice is coming after undocumented people people that you can come into this space and we will protect you you're talking about like this like people being i mean cities being sanctuary cities i'm talking about cities but not exactly i'm talking about specific church groups there's a meeting at the end of this month that are like what would it take for churches basically for churches to individually claim this is a no-fly zone in terms of harm and violence well then they would have to stay out of politics (laughs) right i don't know but i think it's a really creative and clever clever even if it's like a line of thought of how do we organize our communities so that our specific communities say no to the violence that is just coming across like just so much intensity of harm and hate that's coming through rhetoric which i think maybe some people say is like spiritual violence which is true or like that kind of language just being inflammatory but i think that that translates into physical violence so much and that's so powerful that we need to understand how that happens and what is the measures that we can take as small communities like church groups that say this is going to be a protected sanctuary place right and so what does it mean to create spaces where this is the body of people where people go to for sanctuary within hostile environments so that feels like one interesting and creative way i think that there's ways of like organizing that are outside of the institutional structures. My personal opinion, though, is that it's time for a kind of um, shift in people's ways of thinking and what we're willing to give up in order to contribute to a wider range of possibility of hope in life. And so for me, that's a call to a moral revolution and not just a political strategy, right? So I think there's something about consistency that we don't live up to as Christians or as people of faith in general. Yeah. Because as someone who identifies as Christian, part of that commitment is to feeding the hungry. Mm-hmm. For, as one example, taking yeah. care of the immigrant mm-hmm. or making sure that the elderly are well cared for when they have little means, right? And so if it was just me, right? Like just if I just decided for myself, I'm going to be someone who lives with integrity. And so what does that say about what kind of food I put into my body? If my body is a temple, if my body is precious, what does that say about where I spend my resources? If I'm spending my money on a company that has 
you know, slave labor or sweatshop labor abroad that is contributing to the death and harm, or I'm spending my, I'm using my money in a bank that is supporting a pipeline running through the sacred lands of indigenous people who were here before Columbus, who has, that has the possibility to contaminate entire water systems. If I'm choosing to do that, then I'm contributing to harm and death. And I think it actually visits an incredible amount of pain on our own souls. And I think for me, what Trump getting elected tells me is that it is no longer acceptable for us just not to know. For us to be like, oh, my nearest bank, Wells Fargo, that's easy enough, and go on with, about my life. That we absolutely. actually have to take some responsibility for the agency that we do have. I so appreciated um, what our speaker talked about in terms of like, we have some power. We don't have absolute power. Some of us may not have financial power, but whatever privilege we have, we have to spend it. Yeah. And how we spend it is absolutely important, and we can't pretend not to know anymore. So before we invest our resources, for example, if we have enough money to put things in the market, understanding what funds are specifically socially conscious funds and what, as opposed to like which one makes the most money, but actually like where is that money going to and what is it contributing to? How about what we're putting into our bodies? How about the kinds of food we feed our children? How about like whether or not we support immigration, not on the basis of whether or not it provides more or less jobs for me, but whether or not it is in line with our understood values around taking care of those on the margins, including those who are running from other countries that are war-torn or impoverished to be in our space. I mean, you're talking about um, getting out there and, and doing the damn thing, but it really just, it really sounds like it's, it's, it's Christianity in practice. You know, yeah. it's getting out there and actually following through with what you say that you believe when you go and sit in the pew and recite things and pray and sing together, right? It's like getting out there and, and doing it, not just going to work and coming home and praying and saying, dear God, please forgive me for my sins or please help me to be able to, you know, make the next payment on my loan. It's like getting out there and helping people and having justice as worship and activism as worship and showing up as worship. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's that's something that we definitely need. Otherwise, there's going to be, I mean, we're, it's a shame that this is the way that Christianity has turned out, that Christianity has turned into a tool to, um, to push down those who are less fortunate. And I mean, if Jesus knew, if Jesus was alive and this were happening, Jesus would be like, that's not what I said at all. That's not who I am. I didn't say, you know, blessed are the rich and famous. I said, blessed are the meek and the poor, you know, and, and those are the ones that, that, you know, we should, we, I mean, that's what Christianity should be now. So high five, cheers. And that's our show. Thanks for listening, and hopefully uh, you'll stop by next time. Okay, bye! <laughs>